welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. Uh, my name is Joachim Eriksson and I will be your host. Today I want to talk about, uh, I want to start with something like a confession where sometimes I get in these head spaces, I get in these mindsets where I look at my friends and I, I want them to fail. And now the reason I'm thinking about this is because of Max. You all know Max from episode four, Caffeine. Now, I think it's easiest to explain this chronologically that like two months ago, he came over to my house, we're hanging out, we had brunch, he came over to my house afterwards, we had a cup of coffee, listened to some music, taking it easy, and I'm showing him my podcasting equipment, and he's real positive about it all. And he's like, wow, this is so nice. And then he says, wow, something to the effect of, wow, you've really inspired me. I'm going to go straight home and buy my own $80 microphone and start a Twitch account. Now, for you who don't know, Twitch is this platform where people who play video games can broadcast themselves playing video games. So you can tune in and watch someone play video games. Regardless, Max watches Twitch videos. He plays a lot of video games, yada, yada, yada. He says he's going to go home and do one. And then, look, if I was an asshole, I'd say that Max is a little bit of a procrastinator because he didn't do that. He went home, he didn't buy a bunch of mics, microphones, or he didn't start a Twitch account. It wasn't until a month later when I brought him over to my house and we recorded a podcasting episode that he then actually bought a microphone. And then um, I'm editing the episode, yada, yada. Um... Well, first, I want to mention that Max is, even then when he, when we were recording the episode, he was, again, very generous and saying, basically saying, wow, you inspired me to, to um, start a Twitch account. But the thing is that there's something so childish in me and there's something so animalistic and, and shameful and stupid that for some reason that's not good enough for me and I feel like he is taking my thing away from me when he does that because what happened is that we record a podcast I spend a few days editing it down because because okay let me tell you what actually happened Max comes into my apartment I've set up the microphones he's asking hey how long are we going to be recording for and I say okay we'll record for about an hour and then he goes, an hour? Like, how are we going to fill a whole hour? Do you have like a bunch of pr printed questions? And I say that, yes, I have two pages full of printed questions, actually. Um, but then what happened is that I turned on the microphones and we started. And I only got to ask him three questions, basically. And we recorded for four and a half hours. Because Max will not shut up. <laughs> Because Max will just, Max will just go, you know? You press a little red button and start recording and Max will just go. And I'm very grateful for that because it's, uh, it made my job very easy, maybe. I don't know. It wasn't very easy editing it down to episodes that were less than an hour because <clears throat> four and a half hours of conversation is, um, it's a lot of raw materials. Anyway, we record the podcast a couple of days later. I've edited it down to, to an episode, I publish it, and then I sit and I sit down and I make a, a trailer for it, meaning that I I programmed a little video where you have the logo of the 
podcasts with the bubbles and the bubbles are animated, whatever. I make this video. I ask Max if he will share this video and he says yes. And then I send it to him and I share it on my social media. And then, and here's where it gets really hairy. The next day, I'm fucking checking his social media, waiting for him to share it, waiting for him to promote my podcast. And you know what he shares instead? He doesn't share my video that I spent time on. Instead, there's a, there's a post on his fucking Instagram that says, okay, going live tonight with my Twitch. I will be Twitch streaming from 8 p.m. until 12.30 midnight. The only way for me to work through this is to just say it out loud, to just admit that I felt like he's stealing my thing. Now, that's not a logical... There are many things I need to say about this. It doesn't make sense on the face of it because it, they're very different things. I'm trying to do a podcast. He's doing a Twitch account. That's, that's what it is. It's two different lanes. And it's ridiculous to feel competitive. Also for, for, for cooperation reasons or whatever you want to call it. Because really, if I was like emotionally evolved and if I had the appropriate reactions to things, I would just be supportive, honestly supportive, so that I could, so that we could help each other, if anything, so that we could, you know, network. I think if... If you live your whole life and you try to create something and every time you um, bump into someone trying to create anything even vaguely similar, that your first reaction is to feel competitive and to want to shit on them and to want them to fail, then you're shutting yourself down from any opportunity to ever meet anyone or like, you know, have any constructive exchange with anyone because you're you become an island. You become completely uh, sequestered off from anyone. I wanted, I need to talk about this because I, I think the only way to move on from it is to say it out loud into a microphone and admit it. Now, this is a feeling that I've felt my whole life at times. The biggest, I think the biggest example is how I, um, I want to be I want to write a novel and it's a very old thing for me, meaning that when I was like 14, 15, my best friend Sebastian would always make me feel kind of stupid and and I felt really competitive and, and I had some sort of problems with self-esteem or something and, and I, for some reason, the imagery of a novelist was the most respected image I could think of. Now that's obviously a very silly way to gravitate towards a thing like that because the idea that you just want to be it more than wanting to do it is ridiculous. Like you just want people to think of you as a novelist and that's why you want to be a novelist. It's, it's ridiculous. But that's how a thing can start. And then just so happens when I sit down and, I mean, even earlier than that, I, I remember being very young and, and feeling like the happiest I ever was, was in school when 
they just ask us to write fiction, basically. Just come up with something. And I, I remember... I remember being really young, being like 10 years old and just having read Lord of the Rings and then sitting down and writing something that was just very der derivative of um, uh, Lord of the Rings, some sort of adventure, you know, and writing that and, and feeling this incredible sense of freedom that I could make up anything. And I remember just that being sort of a very strong feeling that I enjoyed more than anything. And then that sort of dovetailed with this idea that I really respected the idea of the novelist. And I got really obsessed with that. And I think it's, if I'm being honest, I think it's because of some sort of existential fear too, where I was afraid of not having any sort of goal, a sort of atheist existentialist fear that if there are no values and nothing and if we don't have I was just afraid of having nothing that I really was striving for long term that just felt so terrifying to not have any anchor point and I think I decided for myself that writing a novel writing a bunch of novels was the one thing I was gonna cling on to so that I always had something that I believed in and I just decided that. And then people have criticized me throughout my life for being super rigid with that to a point where that doesn't even make any sense where even if it's not something that's going to earn me any money and it's not going to work and no one is going to read my novels, I just still do it because I, I enjoy doing it. And it's the one thing that I have that I still believe in. That I And now I'm 33 years old, and it's just something that I've believed in in almost 20 years now. And I think it started in a very immature sort of, I want people to think I'm cool. And I think in this pseudo-intellectual mind of a 14-year-old that came up with this idea, the idea of a novelist was the coolest thing. But I think it morphed from that to where I... It turned into something where I actually enjoy writing fiction and and I feel like it's a meaningful thing where you can take a long form format and really say something about something and be really honest and and really work on something so I spent a lot of time on it and I did a lot of writing and then in my late teens somewhere I did the switch where I switched to English maybe I prefer writing in English, so I, I do that. And, and, you know, trying to write a novel in your second language is, is, I mean, maybe impossible. I don't know. Few people have done it, but I think I lost several years just trying to work on the language, really. And then it's always a disadvantage. I mean, I thought of it always as a disadvantage that I'm working in my second language, but in more recent years, I've thought of it more as something where maybe it, maybe it can be an advantage where you take something from the other languages. Like I also learned Chinese later on and you can take something from knowing Swedish and Chinese and sort of bring it in and maybe use the language a little bit differently than how uh, how an American, say, would have used it. And, and maybe it can turn morph into a advantage. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, 
so I'm, I write these books, yada, yada. I think I finished a book when I was like 22 and I put it down and I stepped away from it and let it sit for two months. And then I went back to it and reread it and it wasn't good. Like I'm a very harsh critic of myself. And so I write this book, yada, yada, it's not good. So I just start over, write something else. A couple of years pass, that's not good, put that away. And then in my late 20s, I write this other book. It's a little bit better. I'm fi- I, I have now lived in China for a while. I've found a couple of things that are interesting, a little bit of a subject matter, something that's a little bit meaningful. I found a couple of things that are interesting. And I write this book, and I, th- I really believed in it. The book I wrote that I finished maybe four years ago, right as I was leaving Hangzhou, and... Then I realized that I wanted to write a prequel to that book too. And I realized that I couldn't really put the first book out until I had decided a couple of things about the prequel. And then when I'm working on this prequel, I realized that the prequel is the good book. And I realized that the sequel isn't that good. So now I've spent about four years on this prequel and it's basically done. And for the first time, I have this thing that I can look at and and I actually think it's good. I actually think it's interesting writing and it's an interesting subject matter and I think that there's something interesting there. Now, look, do I believe that it's going to be published and lots of people are going to read it and I'm going to be famous? Probably not. It's a low probability thing, but I need to finish it now and I probably need to contact some literary agents pretty soon and send it out and everything. But the point of what I was going to say about it is that I've sunk all this time into it. And three, four years ago, my friend, he's my buddy. We're close buddies. We studied Chinese together in school. We studied about four semesters together. We did an exchange semester in China together. Then I went back to Sweden and he stayed in China. And then the next summer I went and visited him in Beijing and I stayed in his apartment and we actually did a little bike trip from from where Shanghai Guan, I think it's called Shanghai Guan, where the Great Wall meets the ocean all the way to the east, the end of the Great Wall. We went there and we biked from there into Beijing. It took like a couple of weeks, who knows? Yada, yada, yada. Point is, is a good friend of mine. And then three, four years ago, tells me that he wants to write a book. And immediately I feel this feeling of competitiveness and spite and bitterness. Like I'm so bitter because there's so much of me that I have, I, I'm, I'm, I've so deeply lost my mind in this idea of the novel because, because many reasons. One thing is that I long time ago decided not to talk about it. Because as a teenager, I would write this novel and I would hang out with my friends and I would work on it every day and and I would talk to people about it. And then I realized that that's ridiculous. Because if you talk talk about it and say that you're writing a novel and then six months later, there's still no novel, people are going to be like, where's the novel? And you can't say, oh yeah, it's going to be in uh, five years. And then keep talking about it every day. Like that just doesn't work because people think you're, it's embarrassing, really. So I just decided to put it in a box and close that box and keep that box closed. And I would work on it every single day and I would never talk about it, ever. I mean, that's not completely true. I I had people, other people who would 
around me who would also want to write and we would like exchange writing and talk about it a little bit but but largely I put it in a box and I didn't talk about it and sometimes for years I didn't have anyone around me who was also writing and that I was exchanging anything with and and it was just in this box and it's it you lose your mind when you have a thing that's in a box like that and it's very hard to think about it in a normal healthy way and I in my late 20s I got further along in the process and felt like I was closer to finishing something good and I decided that I needed to open the box. I needed to talk about it again because I'm never going to get anywhere with it if it's just me alone in my room doing something that I never talk about. So I started talking about it. So I had mentioned to that I was writing a book. And then tells me that he's writing a book. And, you know, you got to know my, my, my friend, he's a very healthy person. He is just a very healthy, productive balanced individual he works he exercises he eats healthy he thinks about nutrition he has a very well thought out deliberate career he is a journalist for television swedish state television for radio right now he is the correspondent in china for um he's in beijing and when he was going to write a novel, he's telling me this and he just describes this very practical plan where he's like, I'm working part time and, and I'm going to wake up every day and I'm going to spend two, three, four hours on it. And I'm going to produce 3000 words every day and I'm going to work on it for eight months. And then I'm going to put it down for a month and think about something else. And then I'm going to come back to it and reread it and rework it a little bit and tighten it up and come up with like a second draft and then, you know, that'll be the novel and the goal is to be published. And every part of that, I just felt so attacked, which is so silly. Again, it's like, if you want to get anywhere with something, if you have someone, a friend of yours who wants to be in the same space, you could lift each other up. You don't have to tear each other down. And I know that, which is why... I'm saying this out loud, that what I actually felt was these very negative emotions, because I want to get rid of these negative emotions. I mean, the grass can grow very, very tall at the intersection of friendship and the things we really care about. And healthy guy, productive, he writes the book, like he does the whole thing exactly the way he described it. Two months later, I'm checking in with him and he's like, yep, you know, writing the book every day, writing the book. Four months later, six months later, he just, everything proceeds according to plan. Eight months later, he's got this first draft, draft, yada, yada, you know, some time passes, he goes over it. And then, you know, a year later, he sends me, you know, draft two dot doc, you know, just the Microsoft Word file, which is just the second draft. So he sends me this, email and four or five other guys are cc'd in this email and it's his novel and ah, so many things to say about this he is so unafraid in his his manner of self-promotion 
is fearless. And that's the thing that I find so triggering. And that's the thing that with Max and his Twitch account, same thing. It's that fearless self-promotion. For some reason, I feel so bad when faced with that fearlessness because I'm so jealous of that fearlessness. Anyway, so let's talk about this email. So he sends his email. It's a long email with, I don't know, 12, 15 questions about the story in the novel. And a big part of the email is that he's saying that he doesn't really want feedback until we've read the whole thing. So I open this document and it's 120,000 words. You know, a normal novel is somewhere between 70,000 and 120,000 words. So, you know, it's a real novel. It's, it's in the upper, you know, novels can be anything, but, but it's, it's a long novel. It's about 350 pages in Microsoft Word. Um, and <laughs> one, one thing he said in the email was, he was like, I'm really thankful that you guys are going to do this for me, like you're, that you're going to read this and give me feedback. And it was funny because no, no one had agreed to do that. <laughs> it really, I was thinking about this today and it really reminds me of how working in a restaurant, working in the service industry, you're trained to not apologize to a guest, to a client, to a customer ever. You shouldn't apologize. Whatever you want to say, say it more instead of a, in, in the form of, of a thank you. Like at the restaurant, if I have a party of people and they're, they have to wait half an hour for a table and then I take their order and then the kitchen is behind and they have to wait another half hour or hour to get their food. When I deliver the food, I shouldn't say, I'm sorry this took so long. I should say, thank you for your patience because... It's sort of like a domination technique, but it frames it in a way where if they now are assholes and angry about it, then they look like assholes because you've already thanked them for their patience. And then if they don't have any patience, then it's just a way to sort of wrangle control of the narrative. So sends his email where he's really trying to wrangle the narrative and, and it's asking a whole lot of people. And... I get this email and I open this file and I start reading this and and I'm going to be really, really, really honest now and say that I didn't think it was very good. It was a fantasy novel written in Swedish and it was written in a sort of not a very literary style in a more of how just someone talks, like in a very verbal, it was like fighting, you know? fantasy novels, people with swords, fighting, fighting, set in a sort of like China. It was kind of set in China, but a fictional fantasy country that has magic and lots of martial arts and fighting. And I didn't read very much, but I didn't think it was very good. And now I'm going to be really honest and say that I thought that that was a huge relief to me that it wasn't very good. And I mean, that's a terrible fucking thing to say. And I'm so fucking ashamed of that. But that's what I felt. Like, I am, I, that's what I felt. I felt happy that it wasn't a good novel. And he's my friend. And that makes me such a shitty fucking person. But that's what happened. And I mean, the mechanics of why, it's not very complicated. It's just like, I sunk 15 years of my life into honing this craft. And if he can just wander into this space and first try do it better than me, then that means I'm a turd in a toilet bowl. I mean, that's just what that means. 
but it doesn't change the fact that I'm a bad person. Whatever. The point is that I just felt so fucking attacked. And I've never sent him any writing. You know, he, he, he's interested in this stuff. He wrote a novel, all this stuff. But I am so afraid of everything that I've never, ever sent him anything. And, yeah. And then he sends out this email to me and five other guys, and it's his novel, and he's like, read the whole thing before you give me feedback, and here's 12 questions about the novel that I would like you to answer, and and yada, yada. And I email him back and say, hey, bro, um, maybe you could... It's a little bit daunting to have it be 350 pages or however many pages to have it be. We have to read the whole thing. Is there any way you could chop it up and be like, this guy can read these 50 pages and give me feedback on that. And this other guy can read these 50 pages. Or maybe you just want feedback more on some other part than some other part. Whatever. I'm, I'm trying to be constructive. But honestly, there was a lot of spite in what I was doing with that email. Implying that he's on the wrong track, all this stuff. There's a lot of, it is me trying to hide that what I really feel is this very childish, shitty, competitive, asshole feeling. So I send him that email and I really, I'm trying to tell myself that I'm being a good guy because I'm being constructive and I'm giving him good feedback because this really doesn't seem like he's going to get a lot of feedback on his novel by soliciting feedback in this way. And, you know, maybe I did give him good feedback, but it doesn't change the fact that that feed, that what I, the email I sent him was dishonest or whatever you want to call it, disingenuous. Regardless, you know, two months later, some time passes, whatever. We talk about it. We check in and I sort of ask him, hey, did did you get, what did people think about your novel? Basically is what I ask him. And he tells me that no one emailed him back. No one read it. No one emailed him back. And again, confession, that like there was a dirty feeling of happiness there for me. And it's so bad. It makes me such a bad person that I want my friends to fail. It's so bad. I'm so deeply ashamed of that. But that's what I felt. Like, he's my bro. He's supposed to be my bro, you know? And no one read his novel. And I felt like, well, you know, it's because you haven't put your time, you haven't paid your dues, you know? And, I mean, maybe he didn't pay his dues. But it doesn't make me a good person that I felt that, you know? It still makes me a bad person. And... Yeah, no one ever read his novel and no one gave him any feedback. And I read the novel or not the whole thing. I read like 15 pages and they weren't very good. And I skipped ahead and they weren't good and I didn't like it. And I didn't think it was very good. But all of that made me happy. And then six months later, it's all a little bit in the past. And he's sort of wistfully looking back on it. And he says something to the effect of, yeah, with that novel, you know, I kind of forgot to include a conflict. Now, he doesn't have the language to say it like that. He didn't use the word conflict. But what he said was something like, I forgot to, everything was too easy. All the main characters, everything they wanted, they just kind of got it right away because I forgot to include tension or 
problems or everything was just too easy for everyone. Which is like, yeah, bro. What? I mean, yeah. What I was going to say there was something immature, you know, something spiteful and competitive and shitty. You know, I was going to say that, I mean, maybe day one of learning how to put together some sort of plot is that you have to have a conflict, certain things you need, set pieces. Someone has to have a difficulty with something, I guess. But um, he forgot to include that and... um, Yeah. I don't know. And then that brings us to today where I have Max in my life and we do this podcast and, and he, um, he promotes his Twitch account every single day on Instagram. And here's where he really got my goat. He went on our, the restaurant, we work at the same restaurant. He went on the company the internal company platform where we have our schedules and where you can send a message to your manager, where the managers make announcements, you know, bar manager will send a message saying, Hey, there's a new beer on tap, yada, yada, that sort of thing. He goes on there and he sends a mass message to all the, I don't know, hundred people. And he's like, Hey, I know you're all, I know everyone's been fired because <laughs> no one even works there anymore except me and three other guys. But um, he's like, I know you're all sitting at home quarantined. So, uh, come check out my Twitch account. Check me out. Come watch me play Overwatch or, uh, Command and Conquer or, uh, Red Alert or whatever. You know, who knows what the kids play these days? Battlefield? Halo? Um, and he uses, he, he will use the company messaging board to promote his Twitch channel. And that is so shameless. That is so fearless. That is a man who just wants to do something. He just wants something from life and he just reaches out and grabs it. And I am this ridiculous, fearful, little, you know, idealist, puny little man. I'm this puny little person That would never do such a thing. I don't even, I haven't even posted this on my Facebook yet. Because I'm so afraid of, everything is so sensitive with me. And it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And there's so much jealousy in me that I cannot be more like Max and You know? So much jealousy. And I just want to be different than I am. And it's so hard to change yourself. And um, I never told any of this. And I never worked through my feelings. And I never grew as a person. And then now I'm in a similar situation with Max. And because of... I'm older, you know. I got sober. I mentioned that in every single episode. I do a lot of meditation. I look at my own... my the landscape of my consciousness, I look at it all, man. And I want to grow as a person. So I decided to say all of this out loud. And then I decided that for this episode, I was going to have Max on as a guest, a call-in guest. And he was going to speak into his $80 gamer microphone at his house. 
and we were going to be on the phone, and I was going to speak into my f- microphone here, and we were going to have two audio tracks, and it was going to be perfect audio quality, even though we're in two different places. And I was going to talk about all of this, and I was going to be vulnerable, and we were going to work through it. And I was going to admit to him that I feel competitive and uh, that I feel shitty and and phew, I don't know, that I want him to fail, all these things. I was going to admit everything. I was going to try to be as honest as I can. So I called him up two days ago and was like, hey, bro, on Monday, I'm going to record a podcast. I want to call call you and have you in as a guest. And he agrees and he thinks it's a good idea. He's in. And then now it's Monday and I'm texting him and he's just fucking sleeping. <laughs> He's just sleeping. He's just a flaky guy, you know? Fucking Max. Yeah, so it didn't happen, you know? I didn't grow as a person because Max couldn't... Because it's 5 p.m. and Max is still sleeping, you know? So I'm going to be a child forever because Max cannot wake up. So that brings us to the next segment, which is the part where I actually drink sparkling water. So let me go get the sparkling waters. You know, there's one more thing I have to reiterate before I crack these cans open. And it's the fact that I'm I'm being so unreasonable because it's as if this childish part of me wants Max to give me credit for everything, for any possible success that he has. But the crazy thing is that he is such a generous person that he already has given me credit. He's already been all nice about it and been like, wow, been very positive towards me and has said several times that I'm inspiring him to do his thing. So it's like I've al- he already has given me credit, but it's as if my childish subconscious wants him to wake up every morning and text me and be like, wow. I owe everything to you, Joachim. Like, it's nothing is ever enough for this childish uh, subconscious of mine. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah, I mean, I hate people who talk about their dreams, but I even had a nightmare about this where I can't even remember the circumstances, but it was something like Max's Twitch channel had only 60 slots, because as if the internet only has a limited number of slots, and... There were only six, there were already 60 listeners or viewers or whatever it is that the unit of measurement is here. But he, it, it had maxed out. New people couldn't even watch because it was so popular. And I just felt like in the dream, the, like it's so deep in me that I'm afraid of other people's success. And it's so, so shameful. Ugh, ridiculous. Anyway, um, today we're doing, um, a grapefruit follow-up, a pomple three, if you will. We're going to start with the spindrift. Now, spindrift technically falls outside of what we talk about when we talk about sparkling water because this in- this contains 10% juice. The ingredients list is carbonated water, grapefruit juice, orange juice, lemon juice, hibiscus, parenthesis, for color, no sugar added. So how ridiculous is that, that if you actually look at it, it actually contains orange juice and lemon juice also, not just grapefruit juice, but because the front of the can says sparkling water and real squeezed fruit. Yep, that's it. But it's not all grapefruit juice, but 
this is almost an attempt to bring it back to center and, and think about what does grapefruit juice and sparkling water actually taste like and how close are we in our different, like in a LaCroix Pomplemousse. So uh, let's try this out. Ah, you hear that? Ooh, I know you've been waiting about 35 minutes 35 minutes of me talking, yeah, I don't know how long I just talked about myself, but uh, we finally made it to the sparkling water, y'all, so let's try this. Ooh, yeah, looking at it, it's not clear. It's actually, it's got like a golden, looks a little bit like a Chardonnay. Yeah, it's not straight grapefruit. It's uh, There's a little bit of orange in there. There's a little bit of lemon juice, but mostly grapefruit. But um, So the first thing you realize here when you try this is that... Um, Real grapefruit is kind of bitter. A lot of people, when they slice a grapefruit in half and eat that for breakfast, they will sprinkle sugar on it. Like, I won't do that because I'm a purist. And I like to just slice a grapefruit in half, cut it with a knife a bunch, and then spoon it up. Oh, it's so good. Ice cold grapefruit like that in the morning? Great. But it's got a sharp, bitter flavor to it. And this beverage here, the Spindrift... It's got that bitterness. Ah. As we all know, my definition of sparkling water for the podcast is um, it has to be watery. And this isn't that watery. This is a little bit like drinking juice. And um, that old adage that uh, we should um, eat our fruits and juice our vegetables, I, I mean, I think it's true. And I... Um, I this doesn't strike me as a beverage where I want to drink four cans in a row. It's not a nutritionally neutral, hydrating beverage. And it's not bad, but um, it's like a 7 out of 10. But I'm not even really including it in my review, strictly speaking, because it's uh, outside of the scope of my podcast. Sparkling water number two. Good and gather. Unsweetened grapefruit sparkling water made with natural flavors. Zero calories per serving. Naturally flavored with other natural flavors. That's what they got to say. Every single can. Oh, wow. You smell it first and it's wow. It's got a pretty strong smell to it. Stronger than uh, stronger than a LaCroix. Stronger than most of them. Actually very impressive. And then the flavor is very middle of the road, but it's not bad. And um, considering that it's very affordable... Yeah, these good and gather. They're not the worst. It's a, it's a good 8 out of 10 uh, sparkling water, you know? See myself buying this again. Let's let's try a little bit more. Ah, Pomple 3. All right, let's just zoom right through these. Kirkland Signature. Ivan gave me this can, you know? I wasn't very fair to Ivan in my... Uh, my treatment of the interview with him, but, you know, this is, uh, it's like I told him, it's a very conceptual episode, and he has to live with that. Um, grapefruit, Kirkland Signature. Ivan is a very um, generous person, too. You know, he told me that I could have four cans of sparkling water at his house every time I go over there. If that's not generosity, then I don't know what is. Grapefruit essence essence sparkling water. Kirkland signature from Costco, like we all know. 
Now, Ivan has had a little bit of an up and a down with this uh, Costco brand uh, sparkling water because it's so affordable. You get so many cans, but it's not that great. So I think he's actually, I think he stopped buying it actually. First you smell it. It smells a little bit very vague, very soft smell, but real. It smells, it, it almost has that bitter grapefruit vibe, but very, very subtle. And then not super carbonated and very weak flavor. Very weak flavor. Uh, this is clearly inferior to even a LaCroix Pomplemousse, like anything that we see as the median this is worse. This is way worse. It's a 5 out of 10. The Kirkland signature. Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, I had some other things planned that I wanted to talk about, but you know what? I wanted to talk to Max about them. Yeah, anyway. I'll be talking to Max soon enough. And hopefully... I can try to have a little bit of an honest conversation with him. And, and again, it's just like with the episode with Lacey where I'm talking to them about my stuff as if they have a place in my head, but it's really just me talking through my stuff. Like, I don't know what it is that Max is supposed to say to make me not crazy. Max doesn't really have any responsibility towards me. And maybe what I Maybe what it should be is, maybe it should be an apology. Maybe I should call him and say that I want to apologize to him. Maybe that's how I should frame the whole thing. I should First, I should admit that I feel com competitive towards him, and then I should just apologize to him for, for, in my heart of hearts, hoping that he will fail. Yeah, I think that's all it should be. And then he'll just be like, okay, well, you, you're the most average server in all of Seattle, and then... He won't even, he won't even care, you know? That's the thing. Man, we're so stuck in our own stuff, aren't we? Um, I think I'm going to wrap it up there. I think we're going to call it an episode. Pomple 3 with Max Loring. Pomple 3 with the ghost of Max Loring. Episode title. Thank you for listening to This Week in Sparkling Water. That was our third session of uh, The Grapefruits. Spindrift, Good and Gather, Kirkland Signature. And uh, that brings us to our closing segment, Sparkling Water, Sparkling Mind. For today's session, I want you to just close your eyes and take a couple of deep breaths and just become aware of your visual field. Notice that there's a lot to see behind your closed eyelids. If there's light out, then maybe uh, it's sort of a shimmering red color. If it's totally dark, then I don't know, maybe you're blind. Yeah, just keep your eyes closed and um, don't worry, this is completely safe, even if you're driving a car or something. Just keep your eyes closed and breathe. and Just be aware of all the sounds around you and 
everything that you see behind your closed eyelids and goddammit the neighbors just keep fucking closing the door. Anyway, just be here. And I'll see you next time for uh, the next edition of This Week in Sparkling Water. <laughs>